0: This month has been uh, kind of a challenging one for me to, to preach all of these messages. And uh, I have heard from some of you that it has been kind of difficult for you as well. Uh, I hope it's not always difficult for you to hear my sermons. But uh, I, I know our, our, our subject matter that we've been talking about this week has uh, not been the easiest to go through. The gospel, the expectation of life... Lived as God's created beings forces us to to look deep inside of us to to unearth some of those sinkholes that uh, rye has risen up to the surface and to expose those potholes and 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 so this month has been uh, dedicated for us to take a look on the inside. Uh, to take an honest look of who we are as humans, as people, as Christians. And sometimes that's a painful experience, isn't it? Because the truth hurts sometimes. I've heard from people this month that asked me, point blank asked me to stop preaching about them on Sunday morning. Uh, others have said that they need to wear steel-toed shoes because their toes keep getting stepped on. And neither one of these people have uh, said these things to me to get me to stop preaching or about mental health. They didn't want to stop looking on the inside. In fact, I take both of those things as a huge compliment. That means that the Holy Spirit that we just prayed to is is uh, connected to us in a, in a very meaningful manner. Uh, I was merely just a vessel that God has been able to use this past month, and it has been the Holy Spirit that has been communicating to you, and he has been at work uh, this month for sure, amen? It's also amazing to me how many internal conversations that I could have up here while I'm preaching to you. Uh, I'm talking to myself this whole time while I'm up here, and it's not just, hey, I wonder why that person's phone is ringing. Or uh, uh, there's a baby crying or, oh, I haven't seen that person in a while. I'm glad that they're here. But while I'm preaching to you, there's this ongoing internal conversation in my mind as well. And sometimes those conversations are between myself and the Holy Spirit where he is saying, would you pay attention to what you just said, Brian? You're preaching to you. You're being a hypocrite in your life, and I need you to pay attention to what you're telling these good people. You need to do it yourself. We need to get those potholes filled in, Brian. And I say all this to, to say this, that the Holy Spirit has been continuing to step on my toes as well, and especially while researching this sermon this morning. There's a lot in here that I'm preaching from a need to learn as well, from a need of myself in order to grow as a person, as a fellow Christian. I am also in dire need of understanding and modification. Way back last year, our staff had the opportunity to, when Pastor Brock went on sabbatical and we had the opportunity to preach through the, the book of Acts. And I had the privilege of starting us out that very first week, And so, we're going to return to one of those passages that I preached on last year. So, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 8. Now, Acts uh, is the fifth book in the New Testament. So, the New Testament is about two-thirds of the way through the entire Bible there. So, if you're thumbing through and you see Matthew or Mark or Luke or John... Just be patient because you're just about ready to get to Acts. So it's just right after those four. And so Acts starts out with Jesus. He has already been crucified on the cross. He has already risen from the dead and left the tomb. And he's eating now with his disciples. And they're, they're starting to ask him some questions and saying things like, hey, Jesus, how is all this going to turn out? What's going to happen? Basically, what's going to be expected of us? And in verse eight, he answers them and he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now to understand this verse, we need to place it in the context of those that heard it that day. Uh, They would have understood a witness to be a person that spoke on behalf of someone else. They would have understood that they were to be the ones that will take on now the mantle of Jesus's teaching. I don't think the disciples quite grasped the entire logistics of what that was going to look like, but I think they understood the concept that now we are going to be the witnesses for Jesus ourselves. They also would have understood what it meant when he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. See, these guys understood Jerusalem. They knew Jerusalem. Even if they didn't grow up in Jerusalem, they knew all about Jerusalem. It was familiar to them. So, consider your town, wherever you may live. Is it Pekin or Tremont, Manitou, East Peoria, wherever, wherever it may be. You could probably take me to anywhere you wanted in that town, right? If we were to go out to lunch today and I ask you, hey, can we go to Monocles today? Pretty good idea, don't you think? But if we went to Monocles today for lunch, you could take me there, right? You, you may not know the exact address of where Monocles is, but you probably can take me there. You know Pekin. If you're from Pekin, if you grew up here, even if you don't live here, you could probably tell me how to get to places in Pekin. But Jesus didn't stop at Pekin. He told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come and the Holy Spirit is going to start shaking things up and they were going to go to other places than their Jerusalem, to places outside of their comfort zone, to places that they may not have traveled and to places that they honestly didn't want to go. So, think about what happens if you travel to a new place. And I'm not talking about traveling to East Peoria or Bloomington or any of those places. What happens if you travel to a really new place? A place that you have never been before. For those of you who have had the opportunity to travel outside of the United States, you know exactly what I'm talking about here, right? Chances are when you left the culture of North America you entered into what we can say is a culture shock, right? Um, I remember once that I had the opportunity, we traveled to Kenya in Africa. And we would load up on these vans and the vans would take us through town. And I remember going around every day and looking out the windows of the van and seeing so many different things that were strange to me and just different to me. I remember driving by, well, the best I can describe it is this open-air market. And there in these booths were the butchered goats and the sheep just hanging right right by the road. And the cars and the vans and the buses would drive by on the dirt road and the dust would fly up and settle on the goats and the sheep I remember the flies that would go around uh, the carcasses there as the flies were landing on them and flying around and I knew that if this was at home somebody would come and shut this place down immediately, right? I remember as the week went on that goat and that sheep kept getting smaller because families would come and they would buy a portion of that animal and they would take that that portion home and fix it as a meal for their family. And I remember making that mental note that if I ever needed fresh meat while I was in Kenya, come on a Monday because the same animal was there on Friday. So in every place that I've been fortunate enough to travel, I've been able to go to Guatemala and Jamaica and Mexico and Canada and Colombia and South America, the south side of Chicago. I'm reminded every single time that those places are very different for me. They're very different than where I grew up. They're very different than Pekin. The language that is spoken in Tuxla, Mexico is different from the language that they speak in Tremont, right? But so are the traditions the currency is different. The history is different. And that's what makes traveling so fun to me is exploring and finding out all these new things. But sometimes that travel also exposes something inside of me where I realize, yeah, I think it's me that needs to change. Oftentimes on work and witness trips when you go, you're you're going there in order to minister to the people that are there, but oftentimes it's the people that are there that minister to us. And we realize there's part of us that needs changing. My travels have exposed parts of me that need to change. Or a concept that I need to explore, or an idea that I, that I need to marinate on for a little bit longer. And so here's Jesus and he's giving his disciples uh, a strong heads up. He's saying it, it's good news to them that they get to be witnesses for him. But it also meant, it also meant that they're going to have to change. It also means that they're going to have to live outside of their comfort zone. For some of them, it would mean living outside of their comfort zone geographically. They're just going to have to move to a different town or maybe to a different country. For all of them, it meant living outside their comfort zone mentally or emotionally or spiritually. To the people, Jesus was speaking. To Jerusalem was considered the civilized place to live. But he said, You will go to all of Judea. Now, Judea contains some unrefined characters out there. Outside of Jerusalem were the people that lived on the other side of the tracks, right? The people with less access to proper education, the people with less access to health care, the people with less access to opportunities and hope. Do you think you know of any places like that? You certainly do. See, Pekin, uh, hate to burst anybody's bubble, but Pekin is no wonderland, right? (laughs) But there are certain advantages for us living here, aren't they? We have certain advantages that we have just living in a place such as this. And which means that there are other people who have no clue what it's like for us to have the advantages we do, much less understand it. So where is that place for you that you would go to think, I don't understand them. I don't know them. Maybe it's Kenya or Mexico. But I bet you there's places really close to here that would fulfill that same thing. How about about 13 miles that way? I don't even think we have to go 13 miles. How about three miles that way? In each place, there's probably people there that live very differently than you'd may. So what is Jesus saying to us here in Pekin today? You will be my witnesses in all of Pekin and Tremont, and you will share in the familiar places, but I'm also going to have you share in the places where you don't fit in, the places where you are the minority, the places that just going there makes you uncomfortable, See, Jesus is acknowledged preemptively here that his new friends, his disciples, are going to have a hard time not judging the people in the places that he is going to send them. And so he promises them that they're not going to go there alone. I'm going to send somebody with you. You don't have to do this by yourself. And so he's sending them a helper to empower them and to educate them. And the Holy Spirit is going to start showing the followers of Jesus not only the new places that they're going to go, but just like the Holy Spirit does for us today, he's also going to show us the new places where we get to grow. Where might the Holy Spirit be sending you? Some of you may never travel to Africa, will you? I don't think he's asking all of us to go there. Who are the people that you don't understand? Or more frankly, who are the people that we look down on? Where's the place that if you drove through that neighborhood would make you uncomfortable? Maybe instead of grocery shopping at our normal place that we like to, to go where we're comfortable, maybe we find a minority owned shop and go there instead. What would happen instead of driving through our comfortable place of town that we took another way home and drove through a poorer section of town? We don't do that, right? We don't do that sometimes out of convenience, but there's other reasons as well. Why don't we go there? Why don't we spend time there? Because we're afraid of the things we don't understand. We don't seek out those places or those people because we might, we just might have an internal bias against them. So we all have biases. All of us have biases in our lives. Most of them, uh, most of us can sort out uh, these two different types of biases. Uh, You can write these down in your notes. An explicit bias can be explained by an attitude or a stereotype that affects our understanding. It, it affects our actions and our decisions in a conscious manner, which we willingly choose to have, okay? This is what's going on if we are uh, engaging in any overt type of stereotyping in prejudiceness or in racism. Explicit is easier for us to identify. It's easier for us to condemn than it is implicit bias. Implicit bias relates to the attitudes of the stereotypes that we hold subcon- subconsciously. But it still affects our understanding, our actions, and our decisions. All of us No matter our background, all of us, no matter our skin color, have implicit biases. And I bet there are some that are sitting here today kind of getting a little nervous. Where is Pastor Brian going with this? It's okay if we're a little nervous. None of us want to admit that we harbor a bias, but all of us have them. See, our first week together, when we started talking about our mental health, as we talked about our triggers, you know, the things that get under our skin, the part that, you know, the, it reveals a part of us that we don't like, uh, things that we're not proud of. We said that we need to recognize those things that trigger us, but we don't need to avoid them, that they're actually a gift from God to show us what's underneath that trigger, All right? And then the next week we looked at places where we like to hide, the places that we would draw so that we don't have to deal with a problem in our life or a problem that's within us. And sometimes we create an idol or sometimes we have that short-term solution instead of looking at the real problem that's inside of us and allowing that to be exposed. And last week we looked at the, the mask where we wear to conceal who we really are. It's easier, we think, to live underneath that mass that we place in, in front of us than revealing our true selves to others. But I hope that we also learn that if we allow the true self to be uncovered, that we are met by people of grace. And next week, that's what we're going to look to see how God is responding to all of our mental issues through grace and through love. Now, this week, though, we're looking at a part of us that we would love to keep hidden because this part affects how we see other people. See, the last three weeks or so, we've dealt with ways that we see ourselves. Now we're dealing with how we see others. Could it be that there's something hidden inside of us that keeps us from seeing somebody else the way God intends us to see them or the way that God intends them to be? There's a story in the New Testament found in one of the four gospels. It's in the book of Luke. So go ahead and turn to the book of Luke with me. If you're still in Acts, you just need to go backwards, two books, and you'll find Luke. All right. So uh, turn to chapter 10, those are the big numbers and find then verse 25, which is the little numbers there. And so this is a story where a lawyer comes up to Jesus and asks him, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? Now, this lawyer was trying to trip Jesus up. He was trying to catch Jesus. And I've heard it said that a If you're ever going to try to test Jesus, do it sitting down. At least then you don't have as far to fall, right? But his question is valid. He has a valid question. It's an important question. It's a a question that I hope is on the lips of all of us. Life isn't just here and, and now. Life doesn't stop in our death And if we want to be with Jesus after we die, then this is a question we too need to ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus being Jesus kind of flips it over and he says, well, you're the lawyer. What does the law say? And so the guy answers, well, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and it says, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a good answer, right? See, this guy was a good lawyer. He knew all about the law. In fact, he answers Jesus using a couple different Old Testament scriptures and puts them together. He did a good job. And Jesus says, you're right. Do that, and you will live. In other words, If you do that perfectly, you can go to heaven. See, Jesus knows something and so does the lawyer. It's too late, it's too late. He's already messed up. He can't do that perfectly. And as much as we would like to try to do that on our own, we cannot do anything that would earn us a spot or warrant us a place in heaven. See, if heaven is dependent on me consistently doing the right thing until I die, then I am destined to hell. And so are you. I know this, you know this, the lawyer knew this, Jesus knew this, And so the lawyer started to think of a way out. He started to think of an excuse. And I bet he was thinking to himself, hey, I'm a good guy. And I know I can't fulfill this law perfectly by myself. There has to be a way to fudge the law. There has to be a loophole somewhere. And he thought, if I can't meet the law, I have to lower the law to something that is reachable. Something that's manageable. He must he must somehow lower the requirement so he asked the question well then Jesus who's my neighbor and so Jesus told him the story you can follow along here we're now at verse 30 Jesus said a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers they stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away leaving him half dead brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then you can go on, you can read the rest of this story of how it plays out, right? So the guy, or Jesus asked, who do you think was a neighbor to the man that fell victim to the robbers? And even if you haven't grown up in church, or maybe this is the first time that you've been here with us, you probably know the answer, right? It was the Samaritan, the one that showed mercy on the man, right? We know who is neighborly. We know that the one that is a neighbor was the man that was nice. We know the neighbor was the man that didn't ignore the situation, the one that took time to make sure he was okay, the one that made sure he was looked after and cared for. It's interesting to me in this story, though, that the lawyer didn't ask Jesus, well, what does a neighbor look like? He just asked, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers him by saying the neighbor is the one who has mercy. The neighbor is the one who cares. He could have said the neighbor is the one that doesn't care what skin color another person has. Or where they worship. Or who they love. A neighbor is the one that doesn't ask what political party do you follow. Or what cable news network do you watch. The neighbor doesn't care who is rich or who is poor, who is well-dressed or shabby, housed or homeless. The neighbor is the one with mercy, period. See, whenever I hear this story, I would love to place myself in this story and to think that I am the Samaritan. I would be the one that would stop what he was doing in order to help somebody in need. I would love to identify as the neighbor. I want to be like State Farm. I want to be a good neighbor, right? But too often, whether or not I like this reality, too often I realize I'm the Levite. Or I'm the priest. And I am so busy going from church event to church event to pay attention to what's going on in the world around me. Why is that so easy for me to do? Why is it so easy for you to do the same thing? Because I have biases. My implicit, my explicit biases tell me that it's okay to ignore and to walk past. I have a bias hidden inside of me that tells me, well, they're not like you. They're not going to understand you. You see, Jesus picked this Samaritan to be the hero of the story for a reason. The lawyer asking the question would have despised that Samaritan. Because Jews didn't like Samaritans and Samaritans didn't like the Jews. It was pretty mutual. And there were these explicit biases that existed in both of these groups. There were implicit biases that would have haunted both groups. And Jesus is deliberately showing the lawyer that your neighbors, your good neighbors, just might be the ones around you that are different than you. That person believes differently. That person might look different, love different, behave different. But they just might be a whole lot better neighbor than us. Why is it important for us to stretch ourselves and to remove these biases? I think the answer is clear in Acts 1.8. Jesus does not plan to stop in Judea. Jesus is not done with Pekin. He's going beyond where we are at. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so maybe you need to ask, well, where does that buck stop for me? Where am I not willing to go? Who am I not willing to talk to about Jesus? For me, it's Packer fans. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's not good for me to kick when they're down. I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. See, Jesus said, the spirit of God would come upon you and you will have his power and you will be his witness, not to just to the people who look like you, love like you and vote like you, and not just to the one that you look down on, but also to the person whose ideology you fundamentally can't stomach. He said, he could have left it at that. He could have just left us to figure out what it means to just take the message to the people that we have an explicit bias to or an implicit bias against. That would have been enough. He could have just said, hey, figure it out. But he added that we need to take this good news to the ends of the earth as well. And it just leaves that door so wide open for all of us that there are people that haven't even entered into our radar yet. There are people that we haven't even, we don't even know that we have a bias against them yet. And he says, yes, even to them, you will be my witnesses. See, I'm so glad that we belong to a denomination that believes in a world mission. We have missionaries all over this globe taking the good news all over it. But the overwhelming majority of us will never travel to Africa to be a missionary, will we? Very few of us are going to travel to China to share Jesus with somebody there. So what do we do here? What do we do in our area? To the people around us. What are we gonna do for the people that we like and maybe the people we don't like? If we're gonna be witnesses for Jesus, we need to uncover those biases that are in us. Write this down. Breaking through our biases begins with self-awareness. We must be in tune on what is happening internally if we're ever gonna encounter others throughout our day. So how do we do that? Write this down. We end our biases when we become curious. It's that simple. It it truly is. It's that simple. Taking you back just a not even a couple years ago, May 25th, 2020, George Floyd was killed. And his death unleashed this firestorm of racial unrest here in our country. And so some on both sides of that racial divide got further and further into the weeds. Some of them dug their heels in and found ways uh, to support their already held beliefs that they had about a different race. And I saw white people do this and I saw black people do this. I witnessed it with my friends, I saw it on the news. But I saw others that took that as an opportunity to open themselves up to a possibility that there just might be a bias hidden inside of them against somebody of a different skin color. And I saw people become curious. Curious to understand, curious to seek To grasp the viewpoint of someone else. Curious to walk in the shoes of somebody with black skin. Curious to understand what does it mean to be white. Now this may come as a surprise to you today, but I am not a black woman. Right? Obviously I'm not. It sounds absurd for me to say that I am. So why would I even begin to believe I know what it's like to be a black woman? I can't tell you that. I've never been a black woman. For that matter, I've never been an Asian man. I've never been a Middle Eastern teenager. I've never known what it feels like to grow up in poverty or extensive wealth. After George Floyd's death, Pastor Irene and I sat down and we were going to start this podcast together about racial issues. And we sat down for a few times to work out the the details. But on one occasion, Irene brought a friend of hers that she works with at Southside, and her name is Regina. Regina is a black woman. Regina grew up on the south side of Peoria, and she experienced segregated schools in Peoria. She was some of the very first black students that were sent to Garfield back in the late 70s. Yes, Peoria had segregated schools all the way into the late 70s. See, Regina and I sat down next to each other and discussed racial issues for the entire afternoon with one another. And so besides Pastor Irene, this was the very first time that I ever sat down with a black person to try to understand their point of view, a point of view that I've never experienced and never truly will. See, Regina came into the meeting a little apprehensive as well. And she, she told me, I don't, I don't really want to do this. I mean, she asked Irene, who is this white dude? And why am I meeting with him? But we sat down next to each other for hours. And we discovered one another's stories. And you will love Regina. I mean, we laughed. We had this good time discussing a very serious topic. But the whole time we were able to communicate because both of us had curiosity about the other. At one point I just flat out asked Regina, why should I as a white man care about what happens in the black community? Now Regina could have taken offense by that. But she saw it for what it was. She saw that it was a question for me trying to understand. And Regina says that it was after that question that it opened up this free dialogue between the two of us. And she said, in that moment was me understanding you and you understanding me and it was wonderful. And Regina and I I would say are great friends today. I pray for Regina often. Hi, Regina. She's watching right now. I love Regina. But here's the point. I still can't tell you what it's like to live with black skin. I can't do it. But I can tell you I understand a little bit because of Regina. Oh, and why is it important that as a white man I would care about what happens in a black community? Here's Regina's answer. Because we're all in this together. She said the kingdom of God isn't about you versus me. The kingdom of God is about all of us living together as one. Amen, Regina. Good job. I'm going to have our Ushers, come and we're gonna pray for our offering and collect our communication cards. There's some next steps on there for you. I'm not gonna go through all of them, I want you to read those and I've had the privilege this week of praying with you as you've made decisions on the next steps that the Holy Spirit is taking you but Could we be honest with ourselves to explore those biases that keep us from seeing somebody else the way that God sees them? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, so much for seeing us exactly how... You want to see us. We thank you, Lord, for not seeing all the imperfections that we give you. For not seeing all the sin that just entangles us. We thank you, Lord, for seeing us the way you created us to be. And Lord, I think that you also want us to see others the way you created them to be. And so, Lord, I would ask that you would give us that power this week, that you would just open up for us this opportunity to be curious, to be able to try to understand what it means to have a different point of view, a different skin color, a different experience. And Lord, as Regina says, It's important because we're all doing this together. And the kingdom of heaven isn't about you versus me, but the kingdom of heaven is all about living together as one. Lord, would you help us to be one? Would you expose those areas in our lives that need exposed? Would you give us the curiosity to learn and to understand. We love you, Jesus. We know that you're gonna do exactly that with all of us here and those that are watching at home. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. And I thank you, Lord, for the conversations that will come, for the friendships that we will make, for the understanding that we will possess. Do wonderful and immeasurably more through us, Jesus. And it's in your wonderful and incredible name that we pray. And all of us together say, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and serve us. So thank you for collecting our offering and, and uh, the, our communication cards. Um, this one, as they're doing that too. Explain to you what the Intune Parent Meeting is. The Intune Parent Meeting is going to be by uh, Pastor Josh, and he's going to the first one of these will be February 6th at 10:30 in our Fellowship Center. So this is for any parents, any grandparents, kids and of t- kids and teenagers. And so the goal is for parents to be better informed about, about what's going on out there in our world, to to connect with other parents, to have another safe place where you can go and say, you know what, we're struggling with this. Well, guess what? So are we. And just have, have that communication, to have that community with other parents and grandparents. And so if you are interested in that, it is February 6th at 1030. It will also be videotaped. So if you're serving somewhere during that time, uh, you don't have to leave your post. You can watch that later as well. So love all of you guys. Thank you for coming here this morning and you are dismissed.